It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to reliving the war exclusive on the gray wolf entertainment network my name is nims Azor, joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler this is the podcast where we do exactly what it says in the description we relive the monday night wars things are going absolutely gangbusters in the year 1999 for the world wrestling federation we've had a lot of fun covering all of those pay-per-views I'd love to say that the uh, it was mutual for the WCW side because I think we mentioned it when we did some Valentine's Day Massacre and before that when we covered Super Brawl, but my oh my, has WCW fallen off a cliff? Absolutely, and this show might be one of the worst shows that we've seen in, in WCW's history. Not even for entertainment value, but just for logic's sake, which we're going to have to get into. Because I don't think a show can end on a weirder and worse note than this one did. I think this is infamous for being an absolute mess. Just rewind a little bit here. Have we actually seen a good Uncensored? Uncensored and sold out sort of seem to be those (laughs) cursed WCW pay-per-views where it just seems that it is just awful top to bottom. Uncensored seems like a good idea on paper. It's essentially WCW's um, uh, Extreme Rules. No rules, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just going back just quickly looking at the cards of the ones we've covered already. So 96 was the... We didn't do 96, We didn't do 96 because we started started Bash of the Beach. 97... Oh, the triangle elimination match. <laughs> and Team NWO versus Team Piper versus Team WCW. I remember that was only fun for the ending because Lex Luger was, you know, involved somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, Prince Iakea versus Rey Mysterio was on that show. So it's it, it's not really looking good for uh, Uncensored. Uh, uh, 98 the was the steel cage match with Hogan and Savage. I think that was one where Savage jumped off and uh, did his knee. The most rickety steel cage you'll <laughs> ever see on the planet that looked like it was about 50 feet in the air. But look, cages seem to be the emphasis on uh, WCW Uncensored. Because I think, didn't Uncensored 95 have that electrified uh, steel, steel cage with Macho Man and Hogan versus like the Dungeon of Doom? Oh God, it probably did. Let me just quickly go. 95? Uh, it was Hogan. It a... No, Hogan versus Vader in a strap match. Oh wow! Well, either way, Uncensored doesn't have the best track record. And we talk about we talk about um we talk about steel cages because a lot of emphasis is on the cage and the highlights of Hogan and Flair and their feud. I also thought it was pretty interesting too. Did you notice that this is the first pay per view where it's just back to being branded as WCW only, not WCW NWO? 
yeah, no NWO for this one. It's really weird with how the NWO fits into the branding at this point, because I think here they've swapped to the uh, the modern logo. This might be like the first show where on the poster, mm. I'm looking at it here, the artwork has the uh, the the new logo. Mm-hmm. The spaceship one, or is, uh, as Eric Bischoff calls it, the cat's rear That uh, is logo. what we're looking at, yeah. It's funny you mention that because you're right. I'm sure this we're into the dying days because I think Slamboree '99 is the first one where it actually goes full branding, like on the um on the canvas and the apron and everything like that. So they're still sort of clinging to that old school WCW logo. Did you notice too that Bobby and Tony still seem to be kind of like antsy with each other? Oh, from the get go, because as is tradition with these WCW shows, we get a terrible intro video of like a steel cage being built with no voiceover. Then we go to the commentary desk of, you know, Mike, Bobby and Tony and Bobby and Tony, you can cut the tension with a knife from the start. Bobby Heenan. I don't even remember what Tony said to him, but Bobby says, don't start off like that. And you can see Tony is so annoyed. So (laughs) Bobby from the get go is like, it's going to be one of those nights. And then of course they don't start with a match. They throw to mean Gene. He says everything tonight is unsanctioned by WCW. Why would they have this event then? Yeah, especially that that's got clear WCW branding <laughs> on every single bit of uncensored logo. But uh, yeah, Mean it's Gene an, plugs his it, hot- unsanctioned show, but he's still gonna sell his hotline. And what I love <laughs> yeah, about it, I've never thought about this logic before because he was specific about it here. He says he's gonna have results after the show, but then it hit me. Why would you need the results if you're watching the show? Mm. And if you're not watching the show, how would you know that he has results? At this point in time. Who is this information for? I think at this point in time, Mean Gene just wants to plug the hotline (laughs) and they're probably like, well, how are you going to do it? It's like, I'll just say that I'm just giving results after the show. They're like, great, good idea. (laughs) Hang on, wait a minute. As he's walked out, he's walked out of Gorilla. You're (laughs) watching the show for the results. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then for no reason we get, well, well, there is a reason, but we get a little, a brief recap of the Mysterio and Nash feud. And then that leads us to our first match of the night, which is Mikey Whipwreck versus Kidman. Bobby and Tony are still fighting. And over the stupidest reason too, because Bobby the Brain continually mispronounces Whipwreck's last name, like Shipwreck and all of this sort of stuff. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Why does Tony let it get to him? That's what hit me about this. Why does it let, why does he care so much? Bobby Heenan is just mucking around. He knows his name isn't Shipwreck. And then when he gets bogged down in it, it's not a fun way like JR with Jerry Lawler. With King, yeah. Where, yeah. where JR will just dismiss it or be like, rah, rah, you know, <laughs> or like even um, Gorilla Monsoon with either Bobby or Jesse. You know, mm. will you stop? And Tony just gets so annoyed about it. And then it's frustrating to listen to. And Tony sort of gets that real, like, personal level. You know, it's the sort of thing it'd be like, you know, uh, like you say he... He doesn't say this, but it's along the lines of like, uh, like George Costanza esque sort of pettiness. Yeah, yeah. Serenity now. That's Tony <laughs> over nothing. Uh, so this match it kind of starts off fast pace, and Mikey really does stick with uh, Kidman and can sort of go spills to the outside. The crowd is really into this match, uh, but it also gets technical as well. Uh, commentary 
is awful though. It absolutely just detracts you from the match, which is kind of good, but you're just so bogged down by the shittiness of Bobby and Tony <laughs> fighting with each other. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I would have preferred this match if it was just Mike Tanay calling him. <laughs> because this is a match that didn't even need like color commentary in the traditional no. sense. We didn't need Bobby and Tony doing any shtick. This was a match with no storyline. It was the debut of Mikey Whipwreck. It was two guys just having a match for a match's sake. And from a technical standpoint, it was very good. Kidman's mm -hmm. awesome at this stage. Mikey Whipwreck, you know, underrated as an in-ring wrestler. They had good chemistry. This is kind of a, a, a sort of a, a well-known match, you know, for like yeah. nerds watching at this time. Like, oh, remember, you know, that weird Whipwreck and Kidman match. It's yeah. good, but the commentary, yeah, does take you out. One thing I it's... took note of, though, in WCW's mm. history, how many Cruiserweight title matches on pay-per-view feature two white guys? That's a good point. Yeah, because it's always Kidman versus... <laughs> uh, did, did did Kidman ever go up against above-average Mike Sanders? <laughs> he the probably Cruiserweight does later title. on. That's when we get more <laughs> white Cruiserweights. But yeah, it was just weird. No Luchador. <laughs> And no Prince Iakea, the other non-white cruiserweight. Oh, yes, sorry, so... and Ultimo Dragon and and Liger, the Japanese. Well, yeah, yeah, the the, the yeah. purely American versus American, a domestic <laughs> cruiserweight, a domestic cruiserweight title match. <laughs> um, now, Whipwreck also power bombs Kidman. He's one of the few people that has power bomb Kidman. But there's a very cool springboard off the top rope uh, to Mikey Whipwreck on the floor. Uh, it does get a bit garbagey because I think. And we'll see this sprinkle throughout the show. ECW's obviously like this is the part where everyone sort of catches on and be like, hey, people like this ECW thing. Let's try and bring it into the mainstream a little bit because it does get garbage a little bit. Kidman reverses a powerbomb and uh, gets a shoot and start press and gets the win in a pretty decisive opener. But as you said, it's just taken away by the crappy commentary. Yeah, it took me out of it. And the ending, though, like was. Uh... A foregone conclusion. Kidman was mm. never not going to win, so that kind of you know hurt it a bit. Even though the match is twenty five years old, like I knew Kidman wins, but there was still yeah. part of me that was like, can't even kind of get into it, you know? Yeah, technically it was good, but that was it. Yeah, a Kidman. It, it that this era of Kidman is the very much lol Kidman wins because it just <laughs> generally, it's a bit. They do all their moves and everything, but then it's just bang, shooting star press, and pin one, two, three. It's all, uh, it's all done in there. What, what about the outfits of these guys? This is the the end of professional looking professional wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Guy in a bloody singlet and shorts versus a guy in shorts and a. What even are those t shirts that Mikey Whipwreck wears? Like they're, they're shirts you get from, you know, Vic Market. I was like just a about skull to say, and a web on it, you know. Like I was just about to say, they are knockoff, like uh, you know the the sort of ones that you'd see just hanging from like this, you know, that when they have the ceiling sort of thing, and it's just hanging from there. Yeah. You don't quite know what it is, but yeah, <laughs> if you've ever been to one of those like flea market, not flea markets, you know, those markets that they have in like Orange County and stuff like that. Oh, like those yeah. weird slogan shirts. Well, I was gonna say for us here, it would be like a t-shirt you would find. For my neck of the woods, you would say Pipeworks. For the other mm. side of town, you would say Caribbean Gardens. You know, like yeah. Yeah, whatever correct. shitty market you've been to, it's yeah. going to be there. It's it's the old DFO that used to be at Moorabbin Airport before <laughs> it became all nice and shiny and yeah. uh, with branding. Uh, yeah. But yeah, speaking of which, so we started off with uh, a, 
an above average match between Mikey Whipwreck and Billy Kidman. But then next thing you know, it is Stevie Ray and Virgil, sorry, Vincent getting a hype video. It's a hype video for the leadership of the NWOB team. Someone's That's where taking, we're at. Someone's <laughs> taking the piss here. I can't believe they gave this a hype video. And what do I always say about the WCW hype videos? They don't have a voiceover. They don't have promo, um, you know, promo little little cuts or whatever. Little cuts this, away, yeah, cutaways and stuff. This one did. Out of all the promos to be done like a real promo, Stevie Ray and Vincent, but it looks like a parody of a hype video. Yeah. Like, it looks like the worst hype video you could make on purpose, like, to be a comedy. And you've got Vincent and Stevie Ray saying, like, terrible one-liners to each other. Now, everyone knows that the pinnacle of hype videos is WrestleMania 17, Austin versus uh, Austin versus Rock to Limp Biscuits My Way. Mm. This is like someone said, before, like, previously before that, it's like, we need to go some, some big F. The WWE is doing some big videos. Okay, who do we who do you want to do it for? Flair, Hogan? No, no, no. Stevie Ray versus Virgil, because we want to just see if we can do this. <laughs> and then we'll roll it out for everyone else. Yeah. This was a junior producer who's like, man, we should do cool videos. They're like, I don't know, maybe do one for these guys and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, because was... they're in a they're in a backroom meeting, like, at least if it turns out crap, it's just the Virgil. <laughs> Vincent and Stevie Ray. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> this is absolutely, I was trying to think about it. This is pretty much the bottom of the barrel that you could have a match with two guys. And it gets more and more to the bottom of the barrel too. There's a hype video for the cage before we get to the Harlem street fight between Vincent and Stevie Ray. Oh, my my first note is this is getting pay-per-view time. Mm. Uh, I, but my favorite, my favorite note straight off the top is I do love that the that guys that are in the NWOB team aren't allowed to use the Wolfpack theme. No, they got to use the the NWO music, which I got to say by this point in 1999 is infuriating. Like that Mm. song was cool in 96. And even just watching it back, that music is grating. I know a lot of people really like the NWO song. I kind of hate it. Well, if you notice when the NWO came back in 2002, the WWE slightly changed it up a bit. They made it like they added this, they dropped all the, they put new sound effects in. They started off with a new, so you're right. They sort of mixed it up a little bit. And thankfully NWO 2002 and the WWE sort of lasted only what, like three months. Yeah. If that's being generous. Yeah. So it was pretty much done and dusted, but uh, all I wanted, all I was thinking was just like, what does Brian Adams, Scott Norton and Horace Hogan think of this, this battle for uh for NWO B team supremacy. Oh, they can only go up from here. Look, look at the the options for your leader. <laughs> I will say though, surprisingly, the match started faster paced than I would have expected. Mm. They were brawling. They brawled around the arena. Wasn't so much of a street fight though, was it? It was more of a lumber outside match. Yeah, they must have told him. They're like, look, you're having a street fight, but you're not allowed to use any weapons or do anything cool. Just wrap it up. <laughs> and then it's pretty quick. So Horace Hogan. Just to make it even more bottom of the barrel, Horace (laughs) Hogan is the decider here. He throws in a slapjack, Mm -hmm. but then what's funny about it, no one uses the slapjack because Stevie Ray stops Vincent and just pedigrees him, and it's over. Oh, pedigrees him on the slapjack. Oh, is that what he did? Oh, sorry. No wonder it knocked him out. Well, consider about what the slapjack looks like a box of matches here as well. <laughs> Can I also point out too that during the match, like first two things. First off, Vincent is wrestling in 1999. We've watched 
three years of WCW, never once seen a Vincent match. Have we not? Wow. <laughs> He's always been on the outside. And the part that made that popped me was Tony Tony Schiavone starts hyping up the rest of the card during the match. And I'm pretty sure it's just like, look, this is not going well. Just hype up the match. Tell people not to switch off, please. Yeah. Tell them that Mean Gene has the results after the show. Like, tell them anything. <laughs> Um, next up, we got Chris Jericho, uh, one of those WCW.com bits. Uh, all I could, all I could think of was like Jericho and Conan seem to be the only guys that get how to use these segments properly. Absolutely. Everyone else is just awful. Yeah. Jericho's here actually still hyping his match. I don't know the lo logic of that. I don't know who's on the internet and watching the pay-per-view or considering ordering it, but mm. Jericho is at least treating this as an opportunity to get his character over. We'll see right. later in the night an example of how not to do an internet promo. But this was fine because Jericho knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that next that leads us to our next match, which is Kevin Nash with Miss Elizabeth and Lex Luger versus uh, Rey Mysterio and Conan. Conan comes out to this, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he Conan doesn't. Conan is there in spirit, though, because Rey Mysterio is now using Psycho by Conan. As yeah. his theme song, you know, yeah. Mad One and Conan's classic rap song <laughs> that we all saw on TNT five million times. Here we go. Nash is still mega over. He gets big Wolfpack in the house, uh, mega pop as he normally would. I've written down here too. This is the Rey Mysterio that I remember from my childhood because he's got Psycho as the theme music. This is the Rey Mysterio I used to watch, as you said, on TNT and then later Turner Classic Movies on uh, Foxtel back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, and i got to say, I love the song Psycho. Mm. Uh, what a great song. It's, Any it's fancy so good. Is good. And what used to be great was just how Turner Classic Movies used to just throw it in as two-minute fillers just randomly throughout the broadcast. But uh, Nash dominates early in this match, but Ray gets some offense to some massive cheers. All I can say is Nash's elbow in the corner where he sort of frames them up is one of the best late wcw nash spots i just love that oh it's it's so good here and what he does here because ray's small he frames him up and then he says oh no no and he sits ray on the top rope then frames <laughs> him up and elbows him but can i just say i love their chemistry here i think we mentioned it in the tag match too uh and and really we we know both these guys work with guys of this size better nash yeah. is great with small guys ray's great with big guys Nash is into this. He takes a massive over-the-top rope bump for Ray on a spin kick. He's taking, you know, the wheelbarrow into the um the bulldog. Mm -hmm. They're going back and forth. Ray's selling is fantastic. And it's fun to see Ray without the mask because he's, you know, obviously known for his selling. But getting to see how good his facial expressions are. Mm. Ray Mysterio is one of the best ever. I love this match. The only knock on it was that it was short. And yep. also... Earlier in the night, we saw the hype package. So Rey Mysterio, when he unmasked, sort of did a giant killer kind of thing. And he was, mm -hmm. oh, my God, he's undefeated. He beat Nash on Nitro. And I yep. think because of that, it's Kevin Nash. He's not going to lose twice, especially on a pay-per-view. Kind of felt like I didn't remember who won, but I had a feeling uh, Nash is going to win. He's not going to lose again on the pay-per-view. But anyway, a very fun short match. It was. And uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, Ray Mysterio with a blatant kick to the balls for no DQ. He pulls out a Bronco Buster as well. Luger trips up Nay and Nash big boots him into oblivion. 
there's a mega jackknife to get the three count, and uh, Brain is still in a shithead mood as well. <laughs> yeah, Brain picks it back up a little later, and I'll mm-hmm. mention that because I think he does a really good job later. But here, he's still kind of like, yeah, just sandbagging Tony. It's the one criticism, and when the that's it's it's a common theme here. But you're right, this is one of the underrated matches. Nash, I think the the Nitro match is a lot better. Mm. But um, this is clearly the, hey, look, you beat me on Nitro. I'm going to get the win back here. Uh, Which from is Kevin fine, Nash. I guess. You know, it would have been more fun if Ray won, I think. But it was still yeah. a fun match and their chemistry was great. Uh, my favorite part, though, they're in Kentucky for this pay-per-view. Mm. Ray Mysterio at one point gets on the apron and he's going for a move and he turns around to the crowd, does the Ws with his hands, <laughs> and he's like, West Side. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Kentucky's yeah. down with that anyway. No, that, that didn't seem really. They were more Wolfpack in the house sort of guys, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which is funny because that makes no sense. Like when you think about it, like what does Wolfpack in the house mean? They're in the Besides, house. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> Big proper pump is your hookup. Your hookup for what? Doesn't matter. This is true. This is true. Yeah. Don't let the crowds think too much. When, when, <laughs> yeah. when Ray's doing the West Side, it's like, no, no, we're at West Side. What are you talking about? But Wolfpack's in the house. Oh, yeah. We're all for yeah, that. Yeah. What? Conan's going to toss my salad. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. uh, next up, we see Raven with a promo, and uh, he takes out Sandman and Bam Bam Bigelow. Then, sorry, Sandman is now referred to as Hack. Hack mm. responds, and so does Bigelow. So this is a preview for their match that's coming up later on. Interesting little thing that they do here, rather than have a video package, sort of do the little pieces to camera. Yeah, I didn't mind this. I thought it was okay, the sort of three promos in one. Again, mm-hmm. it's better than having no promos. I feel like WCW hasn't had as many backstage promos in this era as the WWE does. So it was better than nothing. Yeah, very much so, because they didn't do video packages. It was just, so any little snippet that you got, you might as well take. Speaking of snippets, uh, Jerry Flynn versus the cat and Sonny Hogo. This is the cat that I remember from my childhood, you know, the I'm the greatest, all that sort of stuff. Jerry Flynn, when he, I didn't even, I, I don't even know who he is, what he does now, but this is, I've just written garbage, absolute garbage. I know, I take back what I said about Vincent and Stevie Ray being the bottom of the barrel. This is the bottom of the barrel. At Mm -hmm. least WWE low-card guys in the Attitude Era had fun personalities. Whether it was, you know, whatever, or gimmicks. You know, Al Snow. Midian uh, Midian. was part of, like, the Ministry of... At least the Ministry of Darkness would be a part of it or something like that. Yeah, but, like, the cat... I know he's got the gimmick with Sonny Ono you know depending on how much he can be entertained by that but jerry flynn he's just a big weird looking guy who does karate he has no mm. talent aside from that and it only ever hit me now i remember watching him as a kid but jerry flynn looks so much like jerry lewis and that's all i could think <laughs> look at his face next time he looks like giant karate jerry lewis like if See? the nutty professor's alter ego wasn't cool but a karate fighter he'd be jerry flynn See, he needs that's the that's the stuff that he needed to do when he was on the indies, if he ever tried to, because he because I can tell you right now, Jerry Flynn ain't printing any money. Um, Sonny Ono gets accidentally tagged in. Flynn gets the pin. Awful match. We'll move on. I'm glad um, you went to the end quick. The end was hilarious too because Jerry Flynn is pinning Sonny Ono. The cat easily makes it to break it up. 
And the ref is like, I'm just saying it's three. Let's go home. Let's let's just go home, please. Please, let's just stop this. Um, next up, we get a video package which has a promo from Benoit and Malenko about getting uh, shafted in the tag match that we saw last month at Super Bowl. And Dean Malenko is really gung-ho about that strap. Like, he's fully, fully going into, like, you know, really emphasizing, like, I am going to whip you sort of thing. Yeah. And I've got to say, Really impressed with Kurt Hennig's promo. Kurt Hennig's promo was good. I honestly thought right there you were going to say you were impressed by Chris Benoit's promo. I'm glad you did it. Because oh, Chris no. Benoit's <laughs> was awful. Dean Malenko looked like bloody Ric Flair compared to Chris Benoit in their tag team promo. But Hennig was good. So it's a tag team lumberjack match with straps. Yep. Yep. Very and... convoluted. It, it, it just when you thought that the barbed wire cage match at the end couldn't be more convoluted, but we'll get we'll touch on that in a, just a bit because we're going to get to Bam Bam Bigelow versus Hack versus Raven with Chastity, and Chastity is billed as Raven's sister. Do they ditch that sister aspect a little bit later on? I have no idea. I know she came over from ECW as well. I'm not that big on the the deep history of ECW, so I couldn't tell you hmm. really what Chastity did there either but I can't remember where it even goes with Raven. Because at one you know, at one point, he's going to jump back to ECW anyway. Yeah. Can I um, just say what... with Hack, his entrance, hmm. how did Jimmy Hart not have a knockoff Enter Sandman ready? <laughs> I really <laughs> thought he was going to, but anyway, he didn't. Maybe that's what everyone thought. Like, you know, surely, like Jimmy Hart's done some tremendous knockoffs in the day. He'll he'll definitely have one, and no one specifically mentioned to him. Hey, can we have a sound alike for uh for for Enter Sandman by Metallica, or Metallica is in that much of a different universe to Jimmy Hart <laughs> that this is what he thinks Sandman should sound like? Oh, but then again, <laughs> he did knockoffs of Pearl Jam and you know everything this else. True. Surely this is true. Yeah. Maybe he 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 wasn't aware that Sandman uh like he was still thinking that he was still like surfing USA Sandman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Sandman, that would be great if he gave him that. Now, um, the commentators are doing their absolute best to mention ECW, but not mention ECW. Yeah, just that they have experience with this sort of thing. <laughs> this was just, look, I will say about this match, this was just a straight up garbage match. But just considering what we've seen so far on this show, this was kind of entertaining. Very much so. I've written down here. It's plunder a go go. Raven does the little symbol spot with trash can lids. Uh, he also does an Irish whip into a drop toe hold into a trash can, which is cool. I've written down it's basically a 2001 XPW style match in 1999 WCW. And we also get a few EC dub chants. Yeah, that's it. There are a few. So the people of Kentucky know ECW. Can mm-hmm. I just say, watching a match like this back, especially one that's not very good like this, like it's entertaining. But if you watch it objectively, it is so hard to suspend your disbelief. Like, I know they're hitting each other with weapons, but if you say to someone oh, who hasn't watched wrestling, if you say, watch this match, nothing looks faker than this kind of match because they hit each other so many times and the guys just either won't sell it or they're not ready for it, so it doesn't even register. It's so dumb. I've written down, my next note is, it's... It's um, literally them hitting each other with objects like in WWF Attitude on PS1. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. When you hit the guy with the TV and because TV, he's still he on just... green, he just spins back up. Yeah. 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 So literally, or you get a microphone and because he's in red, it basically just knocks him to the ground. So and if you he can't up... press the buttons quick enough, he's going to lie there for like a minute. Yeah. So you're absolutely right in that sense. that This really takes you out of it. Um, Raven uses a paddle on both Bam Bam and uh, and Hack's nuts. Mm. He then does the Raven pose. Uh, Hack can't go through the table. Th- these are the most indestructible tables, I should point out as well, too. Like, how many table spots just did not break? Oh, when they had to, like, double up from the top rope after it didn't break. It was, yeah, a mess. I will give credit to Tony Schiavone, though. He says, oh, there must have been a buffet here earlier. That's why there's so many tables under the ring. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, that's not bad. Because this is early days of tables being under the ring. So at least yeah. we had an explanation. Did you notice that, did it seem to you as well, because I've written down that Bobby the Brain seems to be talking in sound bites. He was just saying things here. He kept trying to make references about the um the weapons. He was yeah. like, oh, doing some ironing. Yeah, he was just saying things. It was things. weird. It it was very very odd, but um yeah, Bigelow can't go through a table, so Raven hits the even flow, and then Raven tapes up Hack and gives him a shot to the head, like so he gets out some masking tape or or packing tape or whatever and ties him up. Bam Bam also hits greetings from Asbury Park, and Chastity then takes out Raven with uh, a fire extinguisher to get the win. It's just it's a convoluted match, just all over the shop. Yeah, and I'm guessing they thought, oh, Raven's sister will turn on him. What an ECW thing to do. But there's no sort of built-in um, story well, we here. Yeah. It's not the same as ECW. There's no gravitas for why we would care about Raven's sister turning on him for Hack. How long's Hack even been there? Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure Hack doesn't last that much longer there either as well. Um, we get another WCW announcer stop down. Bobby the Brain still in a shitty mood. But then we get he even. The WCW... I just want to say Bobby Heenan even spins his chair here and stares at the oh, crowd turns around. while yeah. Tony and Tanae keep talking to the camera. And then you see Tony nudge him. But then Bobby <laughs> finally spins back around and knocks Tony as he's spinning, and you see Tony <laughs> crack up. You do see Tony laugh there. I thought that was a fun moment. But Bobby's just, for whatever was annoying him, it was just, yeah, getting the best of him. He comes back around, though, we'll say very soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we get the WCW Tag Team title rematch. Malenko and Benoit versus Hennig and Wyndham. The Lumberjacks are just a bunch of... I've written down the Lumberjacks that just look like a bunch of jobbers dressed like Magic Mike extras. Um, <laughs> Why did everyone have to be topless and oiled? It was weird. <laughs> Except Arn Anderson, who comes out last as kind of like the surprise Lumberjack. Arn Anderson is dressed like a mechanic in denim <laughs> jeans and a denim vest. And you know what? That was foreshadowing for later. So, you know, I thought, oh, he looks like a mechanic, but it made sense. Keep that one in mind. Um, Wyndham and Hennig try to leave, but the Lumberjacks just start absolutely whipping them. It's one of the best. I, every time the Lumberjacks start getting their belts out and whipping any of the guys, I just laugh my head off. I thought it was good. I'll be honest. I think, like, I know they would do this in TNA. It must be, it's like an old Southern thing. And I guess Jeff Jarrett continued it. Mm. Lumberjacks with straps is way better than a normal <laughs> Lumberjack match. Because oh, it's yeah. kind of fun. You get, you know, the whipping and the guy's like, oh, no, stop it. I thought this match was better than the, the best one out of three falls match from last month or whatever it was. This was a lot better. The action was better and the Lumberjacks made it more fun. 
A million percent, you're right there. Because and the thing is, because literally, even a second that Hennig or Barry Windham would jump outside the ring, like they would roll out, bam, just whips, 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 whips. So they'd roll straight back in. Benoit also got the same treatment when he got thrown out. Um, Malenko then gets Kurt Hennig in the cloverleaf, but uh, Windham gets him. Now, one of the the spots which is actually pretty cool is Kendall Windham is one of the lumberjacks and there's a part where he tries to shield Barry Windham. Are they brothers? What's their what's brothers. their kayfabe? Yeah, yeah, brothers. brothers. Yeah. So um Barry Windham's fighting with Benoit and Kendall Windham's trying to shield his brother from Benoit and the rest of the lumberjacks. And then Arn Anderson has a tire iron, which must have been an annoying thing to carry around with you. Just in he, his jacket. Yeah, yeah. So he gets in and gives a tire tire iron to Kurt Hennig. Malenko then uses the belt on Barry Windham and Benoit gets the headbutt for the win. So it's a, it is a fun little match. It was fun. And the, the ending, Benoit going for the diving headbutt like three quarters across the ring, he almost misses it, but he hits it just enough and the mm-hmm. crowd goes crazy. Like when Arn hit him with the tire iron and then Benoit hit the headbutt and they got the win. This is Benoit's first title in WCW. Yeah. Taking yeah. him this so- long to win a belt. So, so it's we've big, seen him yeah. for three years, and this is his first title. Yeah, and not Malenko's, even singles. Yeah, singles or otherwise. Like Malenko's had a couple. So to see Benoit get the win here with Malenko, with Arn's help in this big gimmick match, the crowd goes nuts. This was a really fun match. I didn't want to think about it too much, but it is funny that, like, you know, a belt wrapped around your hand is somehow like a weapon. Because <laughs> yeah. Kohei did that. I still don't understand why in wrestling that makes a punch stronger. But anyway, uh, yeah, first title for Benoit. The crowd goes nuts. And Bobby Heenan calls the absolute shit out of the replay. I thought he killed it here, and it was almost Mm -hmm. like this is where he got back into the show because he takes over the call for the replay and, you know, describes everything, makes it sound important. And, yeah, felt like he was into this too. This is also one of the few matches on the card where, you know, you'd tell I'd tell people if you're going to watch a match on this card, check out the the tag team match because it's it's a different sort of lumberjack match. Mm, it's it not like your, your stock standard WWE ones uh, that we're all so accustomed to. But um, so next up we get to Chris Jericho versus Perry Satin. Perry Satin is going full S&M with this intro. And I forgot about this ripoff version of the beautiful people that he had going. We talk about Jimmy Hart knockoffs. This one was one of the best. There you go. He doesn't know Metallica, but he knows Marilyn Manson. So <laughs> at this point, Perry Satin has not just accepted that he wears a dress, but he's gone full goth. He's wearing a leather corset with a skirt. He's got contacts in his eyes to make him green. He's wearing black lipstick. He's gone full the artist formerly known as Goldust here. Yeah. Which is funny how behind WCW is. Like, they're doing ECW-style stuff. Now they've got, you know, this freak, quote-unquote. Like, WWE did this a year and a half ago. Mm. You know, maybe maybe they're trying to get ahead of uh, what Rammstein would then later pioneer in, like, 2000 onwards. (laughs) Maybe. Because <laughs> he's got the real industrial yeah. sort of do hust look to yeah. him. 
Um, Jericho, oh, I forgot to mention, it's a dog collar match. So this is a dog collar match, and Jericho tries to put the dog collar on Ralphus, but Ralphus, in the most comedic way possible, most pantomime way, is like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. Mm. So Jericho then sends him to the back. And uh, i got to say, it's one of the better sort of strap matches I've seen, and I'm putting it down to that Jericho and Saturn actually had really good chemistry together. Really? You like this? See, I don't know what it is. I'm starting to think I don't know what my expectations were when we would see Chris Jericho in WCW. But I think, I feel like if you go through all of the shows we've done, every Chris Jericho match, I always come out saying, you know what? I didn't think it was that good. I don't know what I was expecting. And you know what? I'm going to, and I think Chris Jericho is one of the best of all time. I'm going to take him at his word where he even says, he doesn't think he hit his peak until the, you know, short hair, serious Chris Jericho of years later. And, I, and I'm not saying that is his peak. I think he really did get better as his career went. People thought he was so good here, but he gets better. And I think maybe that's sort of clouding my judgment of all of these matches. I don't know what I'm expecting, but it's not what we've seen so far. Yeah, and the, the the I think the also difficult thing about Chris Jericho matches is because so two thousand eight you're right the two thousand eight short haired sort of um suits the feud with um Shawn Michaels that kind of era of Jericho that's the one that kickstarts off like the list Jericho the 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 best friends with Kevin Owens thing and then AEW run like to this present day mm. the pain maker in New Japan yeah. all of that continues from two thousand eight so. That's probably more than what? What was his debut like? Ninety three. Yeah, let's say that. Let's for whatever. Yeah. So if we go like if we judge like ninety three Jericho to we'll be generous and say two thousand and two Jericho where he wins the title. He's still kind of figuring it out. He kind of is, and he was so young. And look, as a character, he was fantastic here. Promos, mm. character stuff, gimmick, everything's great. He's coming up with all the early catchphrases: Monday Night Jericho, Jericho Holics. It's all awesome. But in terms of his matches, I know he gets better. And I think there's just something off for me. Unlike guys like Malenko and Benoit and Eddie, Eddie, who sort of had it in ring earlier than him as an overall package, I think Jericho gets better. I think um, one of the things that sort of back up your point is when people talk about like, you know, name a good name, the define, like when you think of uh, Booker T, like name his WCW, like the thing that cemented him in WCW, you know, the best of seven series. If you talk about Chris Benoit in WCW, that match with Bret Hart at Mayhem yeah. or the the Owen oh, tribute, tribute match. There's, yeah. there's so many little things that people that made it from WCW to WWE that you can sort of like attach their name to. You can't really do that with Jericho except no, with for Jericho, the failed Goldberg feud. Yeah, yeah, and the Goldberg the, feud. Yeah, it's all promo never... stuff. Eddie hmm. and Ray have their matches against each other. Malenko and Ray have their matches together. Chris Jericho. Even Saturn. Even Saturn. Saturn and Raven. Raven. Yeah. I think Jericho doesn't have a signature WCW match, and that's not a knock on him because he no, was so a- good at everything else. And all of those people back then, it used to always annoy me how good people used to say Chris Jericho was. I don't know why. <laughs> it used to always annoy me. I was like, this not guy's not as good as you're saying. He would get better, maybe because I had higher hopes for him. Yeah. Anyway. Good for you, Chris Jericho. You made it. <laughs> but 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 I reckon there was there's because there's a because he does play the chicken shit heel really really well oh, there. Yeah, for sure. I, lo- I, I love that uh, 
Perry Satin has to resort to like Vaughn. So he dishes out some suplexes and then puts the dog collar on him. There's a great spot where Satin pulls Jericho off the apron by just the chain and whips him with it. Jericho then uses the chain to hang Satin um, sort of on the rope. It's, it's very, very like, you can see the psychology. It's almost like he's trying to do like, you know, like what are the coolest spots I could do in a chain match and sort of tick them off one by one. But there's also a massive pop for Jericho's head under the dress. We've seen that spot in the last paper where Perry Sutton puts, I don't know. I don't know. What is, what is it that makes people in WCW crowds pop for that? It's very funny because you're putting the guy's head under your skirt and you're punching him 10 times and the crowd loves it. But, if you weren't wearing a skirt, because I know the implication is like, oh, you're putting his head next to your crotch. Yeah. Your head, oh, sorry, their head is next to your crotch if you're just wearing traditional tights as well. <laughs> it's the exact yeah. same vicinity of crotch to face <laughs> ratio or whatever. Exactly. Um, there's a cool People in line Kentucky, hunt. though, you put a man under a man's oh, yeah. skirt in Kentucky. It's like, oh, man, you're really dishing it out in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, They've now, never there seen a... anything like that before. It's like, what? Boo this man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, exactly. <laughs> that's the ultimate insult. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is a cool lion tamer spot with the chain. Like that part is very ingenious because the whole story is that because Perry Satin's got the extra leverage of being able to yank on the chain, Jericho can't lock in the lion tamer properly. Mm. And then is, I will say though the chain absolutely backfires at the end of this match. Oh yeah, because how does it even come off? Like it's a great idea though. I will say the idea where like the chain comes off and Jericho wraps it around himself to do a moonsault, but mm-hmm. it was meant to be that Saturn will roll out of the way. Therefore, the impact of the chain would hit Jericho's chest. Mm-hmm. However, Saturn did the inwards roll and misjudged it, and Jericho still hit him yeah, with yeah. the chain on his chest. So the, the commentators had to be like, oh, he didn't get all of it. So then they stood up, did another move. Jericho mm, went to DVD. the DVD. Yeah. yeah, he did the DVD. Then Jericho goes to the top rope after he gets up and goes for just a forward splash, and then they mm. do it right. Saturn misses it, like, you know, rolls out of the way, then picks yeah. Jericho up, another DVD, and wins. So, yeah. kind of. A little do over there. A little do over there. And I will say, though, the psychology was funny. They shouldn't have put these matches back to back. I think you've got to think more because in the last match, the implication was that you can knock someone out with a leather belt wrapped around your hand. Whereas in this match, if you hit a guy in the head with a steel chain, he'll just get back up in three seconds. So that's why you shouldn't do too many gimmick matches in a row. Speaking of which, prior to these two matches beforehand, you could uh, also smack <laughs> someone in the head with a with a paddle, yeah. and they'll be fine to pop back up. But yeah, right. look, yeah. but don't wrap was, a leather belt around your hand. Yeah, that's the that. See, that's what Raven should have done in that, the <laughs> he earlier match. He would have match. ended it in two minutes. The leather the leather strap is the key there. But um, uh, yeah. So Jericho, I will say this. I think Jericho tries to be too cute with his finishes because <laughs> in his feud with Rey Mysterio back in, in, in later WWE, remember where there was that finish where he caught the mask on the 619 and ripped it off? Oh, that was amazing. But see, there he nailed it. Yeah. he Imagine if he stuffed up that one. Like, right. there's so many hit and misses. 
Look, I'll give him credit for at least going for the hardest finish possible sometimes because <laughs> he's done it a lot. You're right. He's got a good success rate, but but you're still going to be like, mm, do you really want to do this, Chris? Or would they just do the 6.9 again and now we'll get you? Probably, miles. yeah, yeah. They would have redone it. <laughs> um, like when he, went, when he went to hit um, CM Punk with the uh, scotch bottle and tripped on the liquid that was on the floor. <laughs> yeah, he's had right. a couple of fluff, but look, his batting average is pretty high still. It's pretty, it's pretty decent, yeah. So um, next up, it's Mikey Whipwreck with uh, WCW.com. It's a pretty pedestrian WCW.com segment there. Although, us- Mark Madden, <laughs> sorry to interrupt, Mark Madden with an amazing call as an announcer. He's talking to Mikey Whipwreck and he's like, oh, in the end, you were beat by the shooting star. There's no counter for the shooting star, is there? And Mikey Whipwreck's like, no, there isn't. There is. Move. <laughs> like what's yes. the counter what do you mean there's no counter to the shooting star press <laughs> yes there is top rope move you just move anyway or or if you're randy orton doing rko doing R- oh yeah randy orton begs <laughs> to differ mark madden he'll stand up and rko the guy anyway you can also just um, put your knees up that really annoyed yeah. me <laughs> yeah well it doesn't like Actual physics. Physics seem to be WCW's biggest enemy here. <laughs> yeah, um, um, next up, it's a TV title match. It's Scott Steiner with Buff Bagwell versus Booker T. I, I do love that Buff Bagwell is very well coordinated with his Wolfpack gear. Like he he just knows he he's very much relegated to bit player and knows that there's going to be four separate costume slots in uh in any <laughs> form of video game. So he's trying to maximize the full thing. I like you it. Also... Buff always puts effort into his gear and outfits. Even as a manager, he's got the yeah. red cap with the Wolfpack shirt. He looks good. Red pants. He looks, he looks fantastic here. And uh, what doesn't, what didn't look fantastic was Booker T's entrance video because it looked like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Did you notice that? It's the early days of videos, especially in WCW. <laughs> it wasn't great. Booker T looked good, though. The crowd loved him. And Scott Mega Steiner over. as a heel was very over. Did you see how many Big Papa Pump signs there were? To yep. see Booker T and Scott Steiner like getting up on the card, I think is good. Didn't always happen in WCW, but we're seeing two guys who went from tag teams to singles, and now they're feuding as singles for the TV title. This was really cool to see. And how many how many Harlem Heat and Steiner matches did we see? These two specifically always had good chemistry, and we see it here too. I like this match a lot. Yeah, Sammy, I, I wrote down here that uh, Steiner throws down a fan's belt. Did you see the, where he rips the world title out of his That was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he was definitely having a moment. He was smack-talking fans. What going on? Extending on what you were saying about Harlem Heat versus um, the Steiner brothers, it's cool seeing Steiner versus Booker T here, considering the fact that this would basically be, throughout the late, late 2000s, to the dying days of WCW, this is the money feud. Like, this yeah. is the thing that people were tuning into. The final world title match in WCW's history is these two guys. The fact that they went from tag title, TV title, you know, US title to the world title, it's pretty cool. And again, they picked the two right guys. They've got great chemistry. And I like that this match built from messing with the crowd to stalling in the ring to then doing old school running the rope spots to then building mm-hmm. up to big moves to then building up to Buff Bagwell getting involved. This was a classic pro wrestling match, you know? And it and it helped too because Steiner is one hundred percent heel, even though he's even though the Wolfpack's cool and Buff's cool, people Booker T's that over that he cancels out all the coolness of the NWO here. 
Yeah. Steiner, similar to early Hollywood Hogan, did a good job of being more heelish than the rest of the NWO, especially the Wolfpack. Steiner mm. would, you know, get more over with the catchphrases, but there's something hateable about him. He's so good at it. Um, Steiner also took it to the other side of the guardrail, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's There was a second win by Booker T, and uh, he almost takes out Mickey J with a Harlem sidekick, which I thought was a weird spot. That just seemed strange. Odd. I thought it was cool. It was like a fake out because the way they positioned the ref before Scott Steiner, I think these mm. two guys are so smart. They knew the expectation ref uh, bump yeah. buff gets involved. Booker T does the Harlem sidekick over Scott Steiner and Mickey J at the same time. And Mickey J sells it like he just, you know, like in yeah, the action movies bullet, where a guy yeah. thinks he got shot, but he didn't. <laughs> it was cool. And then it ended with, you know, buff hits, Scott Steiner with a chair accidentally, and then and Booker then... just kicks the chair into Buff's face. Yeah. A very fun, fun ending. And you know what? Anytime in WCW where the face beats someone from the NWO, it's such a relieving moment. Like, mm. oh, thank God he won. My only gripe with this is that when Booker kicks the chair, he does it in full view of Mickey J. And no one cares. I was going to say something. You know me with the referees in WCW lately. I will say, <laughs> even with Ray's nutshot earlier to Kevin Nash, mm-hmm. hey, Mean Gene said at the start of the show, all of these matches oh. are unsanctioned. So I'm going to let That's it go true. for just tonight. I, I'm going to... And I, part of me was also like, I justified it. It was just like, look, they've been two years <laughs> of seeing the NWO absolutely get the... Sh- like, yeah. absolutely kick the shit out of WCW. It's just like, no, you know what? Let this go on. Let this go on. But yeah, Booker, Booker T gets the pin, wins the title. It's a great moment. And uh, you almost sort of think like, okay, now we're getting to the gems of this pay-per-view. But then we get the hype video for the cage. Michael buffers out. And Michael Buffer is sticking to his cue cards, goes through the ridiculous stipulations, which if Ric Flair wins, he's WCW president for life. If Hulk Hogan wins, Flair is banned from WCW for life. Flair then gets the mic and gets um, Charles Robinson over there and says he doesn't want to scratch. He wants a bloodbath because it's a first blood match. Now, remember that it's a first blood match in the cage. Oh boy! Um, like, like Michael Buffer said, this is a world heavyweight cage match, like no other, whatever that means. <laughs> and also, Michael Buffer, you said he was sticking to his cue cards. I've never seen him look over at his cards more than this. Usually, he, you know, he has to look at it for names and like title history. But when he's just saying this is the main event for the richest prize, we're here with the Athletic Commission at WCW Roadwild. He was looking over so much. And you could tell his face was like, does any of this make sense? Because it's a world title match in a cage with barbed wire and it's first blood. And if Hogan loses, uh, he retires or Uh, whatever. And if Ric Flair wins, he is president for life. Like, what on earth is going on? Why did they add so many stipulations to this? Michael Michael Buff was probably like imagine he, he like I don't know Hollyfield versus Tyson and at like the MGM Grand in Las Vegas and he's reading through like you know the winner of this match will be will be crowned the supreme champion of the universe and all the planets. It's almost like he's stopped reading. Be like, what? Yeah, and and you said the the whole thing about the first blood that it won't be stopped if it's a small scratch or bleeding, and it's mm. the ref's discretion. How can it be yeah. the ref's discretion in a first blood match? 
you're either bleeding first or you're not. That is literally yeah. the only if, rule. So this isn't anything, a first blood match. It's a some blood match or like more. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's yeah. So Wolfpack Hogan comes out next, uh, and it's still out of place seeing him in red and black. There's lots of kids doing the little clicks, click too sweet. Um, the cage then comes down. Hogan gets the upper hand early, and we're getting all the hits here from both men. They're fully going into the like it's early in the match, and they're already delving into the the '80s bag of tricks here, like it's Starcade '88, and Hogan's at um the Skydome against the Ultimate Warrior. Um, Flair, um, both men, Hogan puts Flair in the figure four leg lock. Leg lock. Both men also get on the top rope. Ric Flair is bleeding. So Ric Flair bleeds first. Don't worry about that. Very early in the match. (laughs) And the referee does nothing. They even, at one point, go for pinfalls. I thought it was first blood. This match makes no sense. Yeah. Hogan puts, as I said, Hogan puts Flair in a figure four leg lock. It's a first blood match. Yeah, Um, Hogan... Hogan then gets some barbed wire and busts Ric Flair open. Now it makes sense because Hogan's like, I gotta make this dude bleed, right? Mm. Get the barbed wire. Yeah. Does that end the match? Nope. Continues. No. Just continues. It just continues. No. Um, I will say this match, I thought, in terms of what they were doing physically, wasn't too bad. Hogan always puts a little bit more effort in there when he's with Ric Flair. For whatever reason, he moves a little quicker. He, mm. you know, puts more impact into his moves, like he was doing the multiple clotheslines or the axe bomber for the nerds out yeah. there. So he's doing that. He's doing multiple elbow drops. He's doing chop and punch combos in the corner. Like it's a little bit different when Hogan's in there with Flair. But and, oh, and he even does a figure four. He even does his Hulk Hogan figure four, which is different yeah. because he doesn't spin around. He just hooks the leg and drops. I've never seen anyone aside from Hulk Hogan do the figure four like that. It's uh, like his own variation on it. Um, it. It's also because it's so rare that he does a submission because he normally just goes through the, the regular 80s hits. But exactly. did you ever notice, too, that the commentary team even seems confused like the rest of us watching at home, like what is going on? Tony Schiavone at one point was like, oh, uh, Ric Flair busted open. Um, he's like, we're just going to check. Is, is this a first blood match? And then he's like, well, we'll just stick with it anyway. Like, what? Yeah. what, what is going on? So there's another one. A leg drop and a pin gets nothing from Hogan. Hogan's now busted open. Yep. It's it, uh, David Flair then comes out with Tori Wilson. Hogan hulks up, does the full routine, and Charles Robinson even counts a pin. Which like, is very is... weird. Why does he count a pin? And then I couldn't figure out. I watched it twice. Did Charles Robinson stop himself because he was like, oh, why am I pinning? I shouldn't be pinning. Or was it implied that Ric Flair kicked out? I don't know what was... This match fell apart at some point, and then they just rolled with it. Did Flair cut himself too early and give it away? Yeah, I, because I, I know no you idea. would. You would assume because you know I've watched this match before, but you would assume if they were trying to say, "Oh, the referee's crooked," and Ric Flair set this up from the start, you would think the second that Hogan is bleeding, the ref was going to call it, calls- and then yep. you would think, "Oh, he screwed him because Flair bled first. Both men are bleeding for at least five minutes before the match ends. So that's not even like the the towel or whatever. Well, it's not even that too, because we then get a ref bump as Hogan tries to revive Charles Robinson, but he gets a nut shot. Now, 
Flair's the good guy here. Hogan's the heel. But they're not. They feel like they swap halfway through the match. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. The crowd loves Hulk Hogan in this match. And mm. he he goes with it, though. He's doing the cupping the ear thing. He even hulks up for the first time in years in this match. Yeah. It's very much the same vibe that Rock, uh, Rock Hogan has, where they just do a, a switch here. But the thing is... It makes sense in that because it's a one-of-a-kind sort of match. This, it makes zero sense because they're trying to tell a story. They put all these stipulations in that they just completely ignore. Then, to add more confusion to it, Arn Anderson runs out. He takes out David Flair, shrugs off Tori Wilson, <laughs> then gets that bloody tire iron once again, takes out Hogan. He gets put into a figure four leg lock and then gets a pinfall. Yeah. Just to make the match dumber, Ric Flair puts Hulk Hogan in a submission in a first blood match, and it ends in a pinfall. Yeah. Why didn't they just do the screw job like, oh, oh, you know, Hogan's bleeding. Now I'm going to call it. In the same way at King of the Ring 98, where Austin bled accidentally because Taker hit him, and oh my God, yeah. it cost him the match. This match is so dumb. So dumb. I can't even explain the gaps in logic through all of it, but it's so stupid. And I know Charles Robinson is in cahoots with Flair, but even aside from that, the rules of it still made no sense at all. Yeah. If you really, like you said, there was a simple way to do it. When, when Flair starts bleeding, you can just go, right, I'll ignore it. But the minute Hogan starts bleeding, all of a sudden go, sorry, mate, you're bleeding. Then you can have the Hogan do the, have have the title swap and then Hogan can do his hulking up and he can do all the moves and all that sort of stuff, leave the crowd happy, which sounds weird. But um, David Flair then comes in to check on Hogan at the end. Ric Flair is the world champion in 1999. Yeah, where, where, where do you sort of uh, put the bow on this one? I don't know, but I do want to say, I'm going to point out another Tony Schiavone um, issue I had at the start of the match. And again, everyone gets on Bobby Heenan for King uh, for Bash at the Beach 96. Oh, whose side is he on? Tony Schiavone goes on a rant for about two minutes. He's never spoken about this before. But he mm -hmm. says, oh, Charles Robinson, this is his first main event as a referee. First off, you've never said that about any ref. Second, who gives a shit if it's a referee's <laughs> first main event? And then he says, oh, Charles Robinson, like me, grew up a huge fan of Ric Flair. What an honor this must be for Charles Robinson to be in there with Ric Flair for a world title match. Wow, the pressure of him being in there. Like, you kind of gave it away too. Mm. Except because it's so muddied, <laughs> no it one. doesn't really make any sense. Still, like, like if you were trying to paint Charles Robinson as a as a as like in cahoots, there are so many ways to do it. Like, compare it to Survivor Series nineteen ninety eight. The minute that like it's revealed that Rock is part of the corporation, everything yeah. makes sense. And it's also everything over right sense. there. The second he raises the eyebrow to Vince, he calls the match. Mm. Then, yeah, the second Hogan bled, he should have just called for the bell. Hogan should have been punching a bleeding Ric Flair, looking at Charles Robinson, saying, call it, call it, kind of like in the UFC, when a guy yeah. has a guy down and he's looking at the ref saying, are you going to call this a KO? You could have done that, and then Hogan could get off Flair for a sec, and then maybe when he's not looking, he gets hit in the head and he bleeds, and then the ref quickly calls it. I don't know. Well, you know, this, yeah, so dumb, and I hate this ending so much. <laughs> well, look, 
that that about puts a bow on that one. But uh, if we if we run through our MVPs, who do you even give it to? Like, I, I'm going to put it the personally. I don't. I, I'm going to put it down to Kurt Hennig. I've <laughs> never been more entertained in one pay per view by by Kurt, Kurt Hennig <laughs> and his antics. The promo it was just fun. Yeah, you're right. It was pretty fun. He did a good job of selling the straps, of giving the you know Benoit and Malenko a big moment. And he was good in that pre-tape. I, I, yeah, it's a hard one to argue. I'm trying to think of the positives. Maybe Booker T as usual, but I feel like mm. we've said Booker T so he's like an unofficial MVP always. You know, he's uh. even overtaken Dean Malenko and Lex Luger for consistency because those guys <laughs> have trailed off. Booker T, if anything, is going from strength to strength. But you know what? I've been critical of Kurt Hennig in WCW, so I'm going to give him this one too. Give yeah. him yeah. the perfect at least one night of being perfect again. It's a tr- it's a completely trash pay per view. Like you know, normally normally there's some bright spots, but the the tag match was the the lumberjack match because it's so unique is the one that sort of like really stood out. And yes, to an extent, Booker T and Scott Steiner for the TV championship. But other but than that, that was only was just... good because it was a good straight up wrestling match. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, they had a match and the good guy won, you know. Yeah, so look, it's it's a strange one that, but um, look, the next WCW pay per view that we're going to be covering is Spring Stampede, so that should be an interesting one to see because oh. that is that. <laughs> yeah. Is that next? Oh, no. Yeah, a- a- April April ninety nine for WCW. I think they're doing their best to to turn the ship around because it's got, it's got a main event with DDP and Sting in it. And all we can say is what up March, I guess, cuz <laughs> the slow oh. descent into madness for the great Randy Savage. I think it's the beginning of the end here. But uh look, that is that's coming up next month, but we've still got uh left in this month to cover off WrestleMania 15, the Rage and Climax. <laughs> And we, we, might, we might even get we'll get some special guests on board for that one because WrestleMania 15 is I don't know I think you probably share the same thoughts as I do Simon that was the first big WrestleMania I think because it's the it was the peak of my fandom where even though like I watched the other ones this is the one where it was just like try and track it down talk about it at school that kind of uh, event for me really I hate WrestleMania 15 I'm excited to watch it though because I've seen it so many times, even though I don't like it, it's a weird show, and it's kind of like a, a yeah, I don't know, a curiosity. It's Russo-mania. It's, it's defini- Russo-mania. Yeah, it's definitely not, enter- like, it's not not entertaining. It's, yeah, a, the Russo-mania. You can definitely sit through it and have fun, but I'm excited to watch it again. This is the one, because I just remember watching back in the day, like, taping all, like, watching on a Monday on a Monday afternoon after taping WWF superstars on channel 10 on a Sunday night, watching the build up to this because there was even like no access was next year, but there was some weird rap party beforehand. Oh, uh, yeah. where they, I can't remember who was in it, but um, got to find it. There's footage of that, the WrestleMania party in Philadelphia or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's some good oh. stuff of Vince and Shane and people at that party. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the event was marked with a rage party the preceding evening at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Uh, it included music from Isaac Hayes, so chef from South wow. Park, big pun, 
and the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> What what a nineteen ninety nine lineup that is! Jeez Louise, but, I can't uh, oh, wait! And, can't wait! And to top it off, oh, this is fantastic! I'll, I'll save all this. I'll, I'll I'll stop looking because I want to experience this all again too. Because I recently bought this on DVD. Because famously, this is the first ever WWF DVD that was released. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, so the WWF, the first WWF DVD, WWF one zero zero one is uh, WrestleMania 15. But uh, yeah, it all starts off with boys to men singing America the Beautiful. You can't get any more 1999. Love it. Can't wait. But yeah, join us for our uh, Reliving the War WrestleMania 15 spectacular, the Rage and Climax. Uh, go through their archives and check out all of the WCW pay-per-views that were good from 96 to 97 eh, it's a mixed bag in 98 but uh go back through our archives if you want to catch up and uh, on behalf of simon i've been nims as all follow gray wolf ent on the socials to see when our next episode drops and we'll catch you next time for reliving the war this has been another presentation from the gray wolf entertainment network graywolfentertainment.net